So there's a basic understanding we begin with as we prepare for uh, our gathering together, and part of it is, and I, and I think it's fair to say, that uh, some of us come into the room uh, on a morning like this looking for answers to something that's going on in your life or in the life of someone that you love, that you care about a great deal, and you know, I mean, you know that God's Word has the answers for it, and so you're, you're just kind of wondering if that's, you know, what's going to be said that day. Uh, I think it would be equally fair to say that the majority of us uh, who are here in the room, online as well, that uh, at one point in our life, we, we, we come looking for answers because God's Word changed something. Something happened in our life, changed our lives, and so we determined to give ourselves to Him. Uh, but also, and I think you need to be aware, there are some who are here this morning uh, or on, uh, in the room or online who have not made that decision. So we know that that's going on. You've not made a commitment to Jesus through your baptism, and you're kind of wondering what this is all about. So I, I need to talk to the first group, though. The rest of you can listen in. Uh, for those of us who have had God's Word change our life, the, the question I would ask is, does it still? Does the Word of God still change your life? And for some of us, it does. But for some of us, I think if we were to be more honest with ourselves and we're kind of comfortable with being even in church, that we'd have to say, it's been a while. And you know that it used to, and you kind of remember that, and you wish that it still did, but for some reason, and it hurts to admit this, but it doesn't. And for those of us who are just trying to figure out whether Jesus is real and if he is, who he will be in our life, and how in the world does this have anything to do with it? What, what, what does that book have to say, or, or you know, what, will, what place will all of this have in our life? Listen, this morning, uh, I think we'll help. Uh, by the way, if this is your first time here today, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC, and you picked a great week to be here because last week we started a series that we're calling Achilles, uh, although we're walking through the book of James. We, we could have called it James, but we called it Achilles intentionally. Uh, but what we call the book of James, by the way, is actually a letter that was written by a guy named James to the early church in the first century. And if you've never seen it before, it's located toward the end of the New Testament uh, and the end of the Bible. We're calling this series Achilles. And maybe you've heard this phrase, Achilles heel. It's because Achilles heel refers to a weakness or a vulnerable point in someone. So even someone very strong. So what we talked about last week and we'll talk about for the next few weeks are areas of our lives that could be an Achilles heel for those of us who are disciples of Jesus. And I mentioned this last week. I'll say it a few more times in this series, especially for those who are new. The word disciple is not really a 21st century word. You don't hear that very often in our culture. So if you're new to church in general, new to MCC specifically, we want you to know it is a New Testament word. So it's from the New Testament part of the Bible that is most often used to describe people like us who are following Jesus. Uh, Christian was not the word that was most often used. Disciple was. And so Almost every week, I'm going to remind you that here at MCC, when we say disciple, what we mean is someone who is following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So whenever you hear the word disciple, you can just sort of hear that playing in the background, someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. But especially for those of us who are new disciples, what we're going to look at, uh, have been looking at, will look at for the next few weeks, can 
can really catch you off guard. Uh, but even for those of us who have been disciples for decades, we, we gave our life to Christ decades and decades ago. We can, and we can be very mature in our faith and still have an area of weakness, an Achilles heel in our life. So today what James is going to tell us has the ability to bring us down might surprise you because today what he says could be an Achilles heel for those of us who are disciples of Jesus is this, this book. This is a Bible, uh, in case you were wondering. It's this book. So before we get to what James writes, let's look at something that quite likely he heard his half-brother Jesus say. Jesus would say this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, I've mentioned before a survey from the Center of Bible Engagement. They pulled 40,000 people from the general population, ages 8 to 80. And the purpose of the survey was to see how our people in our culture of all ages, not just church people, but all people, how they're engaging the Bible and what difference it makes in their life. What's the effect it has on us? And they discovered something they weren't even really looking for, but it sort of became the highlight of the whole uh, study. The study revealed that if we engage the Bible one time a week, so maybe even, so you could say in church, you were in church, and so you heard someone talk through about the Bible, uh, and so you can count that, that's one time a week, it really had a negligible impact on your life. Basically, nothing. Uh, if we read, they found that if we read and reflect on what the Bible says two times a week, it has a negligible uh, impact on our life, basically nothing. If we read it three times, if we engage with Scripture three times in a seven-day period, there's like a blip, like not really much, but you can just sort of tell there's a little bit of life there. So not, not really anything, uh, not negligible, but, but minor. The profound discovery that they made was that if we engage Scripture four times a week, it just spikes off the chart. I mean, it just goes way up, uh, this effect that it actually has on our lives. What they anticipated and what I thought would have happened, maybe what you think would happen, is if we engage it once, there's this little, and then twice is a little bit more, and three times is a little bit more, and four times now we're really talking about something. But that's not what they found at all. It basically flatlined. If this is all you're getting, it's basically flatlining in your life, the impact the Bible is having until four times in a week. And when we engage Scripture four times, what they found was feeling lonely drops 35%. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships, spouse, uh, children, parents, neighbors, work, school drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 64%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. My guess is because you're a little more confident since you're engaging Scripture a little bit more. You understand it a little bit better. Discipling others jumps 230%. Reading God's Word makes a huge difference in your life, which maybe makes it more understandable when God says this back to the prophet Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Maybe that makes a little bit more sense. Hebrews 4 says this, God's word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us, right where the soul and spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones, and it judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. It's at work. It's at work. 
So I put this in the notes. Uh, I, I, I love this. Uh, someone said, everyone should own a red Bible. I love that. And it's true. We should all own a Bible that has been read. So how can the Bible be an Achilles heel for us? And I'm wondering what you would guess. Although I don't want you to answer that loud, I, maybe some of our answers would surprise others of us. According to LifeWay Research, about 40% of Protestant churchgoers read the Bible. By the way, 40% of Protestant churchgoers, that's us. We're the Protestant churchgoers, okay? In case you're wondering, that, that talks about us. 40% Protestant churchgoers read the Bible once a week or less. Us. We read the Bible, 40% of us, almost half, less than one time a week. And what did we just find out about engaging Scripture one time a week? Nothing. Negligible. No impact. I, I just hope to get your uh, interest up just a little bit. Remember what we just saw uh, about that. So really no change. So I'm going to ask you this. If you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, pull, actually pull your phone out right now. You now have... So uh, for those of you who are playing a game, go ahead and stop that for just a moment. And... Uh, I'm kidding. That doesn't happen here, right? So um, get your phone out. Uh, open your YouVersion Bible app if you would. Uh, and if you're following along in the notes already, you will find that the very next uh, point in the notes in the YouVersion app, there's a link that will take you to Set MCC as my church. Okay. So what we're gonna, I'm asking you to do right now is to Set MCC as your, if this is your church, if you're not visiting from out of state or you normally go somewhere else, if you are, this is where you are regularly plugged in. Uh, if you just open to the app, look down at the bottom right, and you will see uh, hit more. Uh, there's this thing that says more with these little lines under it. Just hit that. And then right under events, you should be able to make MCC My Church. At least that's the way it worked on mine. And, uh, and then, but I was helping someone between services, and it didn't work that way at all with them. So uh, I'm hoping it works that way with you. Uh, but if you go to events, that's where we are. You'll find our notes under events. Miamisburg Christian Church will be right at the top. You can click on that and then follow it down to where the link is as well. But what will happen is you will connect with others here at MCC who are reading Scripture, and you can be friends with them and encourage each other. And when we send out a plan like we have for this series with James, we've sent out a plan called Stories of Faith. Uh, it's guiding us through the book of James. You can read along with others here at MCC. And so it's a way to connect and you'll get notifications about what we're doing here. Our hope is to uh, give you a reading plan for every series that we do. Not to take the place of what you're already doing, but just to, a one way to help you engage in Scripture as we move forward as a congregation. And, and here's why on, your, on our new version notes from the book Faithfully Different, uh, which some of us read this summer, uh, and this may, this may surprise you, or you may not have thought of this. When we don't fully grasp what the Bible teaches in the first place, or we aren't vigilant in protecting those beliefs, we can easily allow unbiblical ideas to creep into the biblical worldview we thought we had. We thought we had a biblical worldview, but other thoughts, other lines of thinking, other things that have been labeled truth are seeping into what we believe the Bible says, and the Bible doesn't say that at all. As a matter of fact, sometimes it can be the exact opposite of what the Bible says, but it sounds Jesus-y, and so we believe it, right? Uh, because we don't really know what God is saying to us through his word because we're not engaging it enough to have it change our lives. So we allow the world's teaching that sounds right but isn't. For instance, finish this sentence. God helps those who... 
help themselves. I had a teacher in high school who said, as you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. And as a teenager, I thought, well, what do you know about that? He's quoting scripture. Uh, And for those of you who don't know, because it sounds right, it's not in there. The Bible never says that. But again, believe it or not, our culture will tell you truths that are opposite of what God says to help you determine, because what they're trying to help you do is determine how you'll think and how you'll live your life. In case you didn't know that about our culture, it's trying to help you think and tell you how to live. So what does James tell us this morning that can help us? It's in verse 19. These are in the notes in the Version app. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that, God's desire, that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So right off the bat, I want to make sure you catch this. It's in the notes uh, and it's important. The Bible can be an Achilles heel area for me if I don't listen to God speak to me through it. If it's just another book in my house that I never open or read. So first of all, I just want you to know how painful it is for someone who talks for a living to have the Bible say, stop talking and listen. That is painful. And I know some of you who on your report cards have gotten such and such is a pleasure to have in class, but they talk too much. This is us, all right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. But it's hard to hear God speak when our lives are never quiet. And for some of us, we never have quiet in our lives. We're uncomfortable with quiet. And for you, maybe every time you get to the car, you're turning on the radio so you can listen to music or, talk, or some sort of talk radio show. Or when you go for a run, you're listening to a podcast or you're sitting at your computer, you've got your Spotify playlist. There's constant noise at school and at work, people talking and machines running and music playing. And you walk in your house at the end of the day and you're tired and you just sort of sit down and what's the first thing you do? You turn on the TV, and maybe you're not even watching it. Maybe it's just noise in the background until it's time to go to bed. When you think, oh, if I can just listen to some music while I fall asleep, that'll help you fall asleep better. And so you turn on some music, and it turns itself off as you fall asleep. And the next morning, your alarm wakes you up to music. Listen, someone said, God speaks to those who have time to listen. And if it's always noisy... You're not making time to listen to God, whether it's noise from the outside coming in or just your own words filling your ears. It's hard to hear God if we're never quiet. If you want to hear God speak to you, you have to stop talking. And part of this is talking and part of it is our attitude. We need to be more anxious to understand what God would say to us about something than what our own opinion is about it. If you want God to make a difference in your life, you have to be quick to listen, you have to be slow to speak, but if you want to be able to hear according to James, you also must be slow to anger. So, which raises this question, is it wrong to be angry? Is that what James is telling us, it's wrong to get angry? Or is that an emotion that's okay with God? Ephesians 4 says this, in your anger, do not sin. So evidently there's an anger that does not lead to sin, that's okay, that reflects somehow God's kingdom. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. So here's the thing. If you came in here this morning and you're angry with me, you probably won't hear anything that God is trying to say to you through what I'm talking about here this morning. If you came in here angry at Josh or someone who was on our praise team, 
You probably heard nothing God was trying to influence your heart with through the songs that we sang. If you came in here angry with our elders or, or someone else here at MCC, when you, can you hear anything but negatives about this place? If you're angry with your parents, can they do anything right? Parents, if you're angry with your children, even when they're trying to explain something to you, I mean, doesn't it just taint your understanding of what they're trying to say? Husbands, do you know that Peter tells us that if we're angry with our wives, it hinders our prayer life. So back to Paul, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And verse 27 finishes the why. And don't give the devil a foothold. Because if you're angry, Satan will plug your ears. Listen, anger is not wrong, but it can keep you from hearing what God has to say especially if he's speaking into an area of your life where you really don't want to hear what he has to say anyway. If you're not sure, you're ready. you know you've got something going on in your life and it doesn't reflect what the Bible says, what God has already told us through his word. If you've got that going on, so your life is this way, the Bible is over here, you may not want to surrender that part of your life just yet. So you're going to close your ears to what he's saying. And we need to be careful of that. But James also says this, the Bible can be an Achilles heel area for me if I don't do what God says. It's verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And I've shown you this before, but I think it's really important that we get this. And I didn't make this up. A friend of mine gave it to me or I stole it from him, whatever. But, uh, but I want to make sure you get this. So there are ways that we engage Scripture. The first and most common is that we hear someone says something about it. Maybe it's a message. Maybe it's a friend who's talking. And so when you hear, when you engage through hearing, it's like you're holding the Bible with one finger. And that, listen, it's possible, right? I mean, it's possible to hold it with one finger. It's not, I mean, it's super easy to take it away from you. And we know that we retain about... 10 to 15% if we only hear something. If, we, if all you do is hear it and nothing else, you'll retain about 10 to 15%. Usually the second tool we use, someone we hear someone say something, so we decide, you know what, I think I should read that book of James. Let's see what that thing has to say. It's kind of like engaging the Bible with two fingers, which now, now, well, I, don't, I can't get this one to mind its own business, but now, now we, at least it's something still not hard. Right? I mean, still pretty easy to take it. We estimate that about 25 to 35% of what you read, you will hold on to. But once we start reading it, we might start studying it, which is where we kind of dig in on our own, which is good. And now we've got three fingers involved in this. And so it's a little bit better, but again, uh, it's not wonderful. But we estimate you can hold on to 60 to 70% of what you study if you memorize The Bible calls that hiding God's word in your heart. You memorize what the scripture says. That's that's four fingers holding onto this thing. That's pretty good. That's not, a strong wind is not going to take that away. After two weeks, what percentage of what you've memorized do you think you hold on to? You've memorized it. How much of that you memorized it? How much of that do you think you've held on to after two weeks? Memorized. 100%, right? You memorized it. I I know you're there. I can see your eyes when you're blinking. 
100% of what you've memorized, you've got. And so that's good, okay? Uh, meditating. When we begin to answer the question, what is God saying and what will I do with that? Now we have five fingers holding onto this thing, and that's a pretty good grip. By the way, your thumb is the only finger on your hand that can touch all the rest of your fingers. So you've got a good grip, although I know someone is now going to spend the rest of the hour trying to touch their other fingers with all the other fingers. Uh, but you can't do that. So here's the last one. And James just told us, it's when we do it. It's like we've got the Bible now with all five fingers and the palm of our hand. Can someone take that from me? They can, but they're going to have to be bigger than me. And they're going to have to rip it out of my hand. But that's what it's like when we do what we read. James says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his or her face in a mirror, and after looking at themselves, they go away and immediately forget what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. It's not just about hearing. It's about doing something with what you hear, because the Bible was never given to us just to inform us. It was given to us to transform us. So if hearing God is supposed to lead to obedience, what would be some of the key areas of our life that we should be focusing our time and attention on? And James speaks to that. In verse 26, he begins, those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, we make this big point, and you've heard us talk about it here, that our faith is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not about what we mean by that. It's not just about a list of do's and don'ts, and you just follow these rules and you're in, right? It's more about a friendship with Jesus, and that's true. Christianity was never meant to be boiled down to just a religion. But James uses that word religion differently here. He's talking specifically about the doing part of our spiritual life, whether it's Bible reading or prayer or going to church. It's the activity portion of our faith. It may be how we treat people. It may be how we serve them. It's how we model Jesus to them by the words that we use and the way we live our lives. It's like God is telling us through James that our spiritual activities need to be an expression of God's heart because we live in a world that is so daily that it's not that hard, really, to take our eyes off of the goal that we should have in mind and just go day by day, which, by the way, is how the world conforms you, just a little bit at a time. And little by little, you cease to hear God speak, and little by little, our religion becomes worthless because we have been spotted and polluted by the world. As an example, James says, is those who are really living out their faith, they keep a tight rein on their tongue. They don't fly off the handle. They don't cuss and scream when when things don't go their way. They don't use their words as weapons to hurt other people. When they're watching their team play at night and Fox News cuts in while their team is on the field, and who cares what they're talking about? They don't get on Facebook and rant about that, post it, and immediately have to go back and delete that post because it's not what they should have said. They keep their mouths under control. They also take care of the most needy among us. 
In James' day, that was orphans and widows. He chose them as examples of people who are most likely to be neglected by others and be financially destitute. And it may be orphans and widows today. Or it could be the single mom. Could be the handicapped friend. Might be a neighbor who got laid off from work. But we need to step in and help out whenever possible. He also said we need to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. In other words, be careful about where you go. Watch what you say. What Watch what you watch. Watch who you hang out with because they are all influencing you. So let's play a hypothetical. Suppose a stranger moves into your house with you and uh, they are going to live with you for three months. And unbeknownst to you, they are watching your every move. They are listening to every word you say. They're watching what you do on a day-to-day basis debating the merits of whether they should follow Jesus. Do you think they would decide at the end of three months that being a disciple of Jesus is the best choice just by watching you? How much time you spend in his word, in prayer, and living out the example, the model of Jesus in your life. Can I just say that God wants to speak to you today He wants to cut through the noise and the chaos of your life, and he wants to speak to you. But if that's going to happen, we have to train our ears to be able to hear his voice, which means you have to prepare to hear his voice. Quiet your life, and then do what he says. And I didn't put this in the notes, but I really wish I would have. We haven't really heard God until we've obeyed God. I just want to make sure you catch that. You've not heard his voice until you do what he says. That's what it means to hear him. And it's why each week we stop, right in the middle of everything that we're doing, to remember through our communion. And part of it is just about quieting ourselves. Have you noticed it's kind of quiet? There's a little bit of music in the background, but it's mostly quiet during that time. And we don't hurry We don't rush communion. We're not messing with our phones while we're doing this. We quiet ourselves so that we can listen. And it's a reminder so that we can hear God's voice say what Josh mentioned earlier today. He loves you. (laughs) Sent his son to die for you. He traded the life of his son for your sins, my sins, so that we might have a life here on earth that looks like his and is creating a place for us to live forever in heaven. Can we quiet ourselves enough to, to hear that and be reminded of it? And we remember and we practice here to remind us to do it every day at home. Not necessarily communion, but to quiet ourselves so that we can hear him. So we're going to do that. I'm going to pray and then we'll do this together, okay? Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough that you would trade the life of your son, the sinless, perfect life of Jesus for our sins. Help us remember that that's that's how valuable you deem us. That's how much you think of us. So we're grateful for that. 
May we be faithful in, in remem remembering and talking to you about where we struggle, where we succeed, where we fail. I'd ask for your help. Father, our greatest goal is to look like Jesus with our lives here so that people, when they look at us, they see you. And so we ask for your help with that. And as we take these emblems now that remind us of Jesus' body, Jesus, we are just, we're, first of all, we're grateful to you. And Holy Spirit, we want to create a space, we want to create a life where you live comfortably inside of us and grow so that every day we become more and more like Jesus. Help us, we pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen.